0: this presidency is over, he is a lame duck, he cannot run again, and we are taking the reins of this party. That—that That is where they are headed.
1: Attention
2: passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Fly over country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff.
3: And we are taking off without our masks, or maybe we do have them on. We'll talk about in that later, but right now, Welcome aboard to Fly Over Country with Scott Jennings. Scott, in a moment, I'm Joe Arnold, your roundtable host. Kevin Grout is back. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Sean Southern.
4: Great to be here.
3: And Scott, I am so excited because we we have a command performance tonight for the first time ever in the history of this, this legacy podcast. <laughs> a repeat guest who's going to be willing to take on the roundtable in addition to the one-on-one of this past couple of days. I'm so excited that
0: Mary Catherine Ham is back on the Flower Country podcast now. Before you. we, you you were a terrific interview by the way, and uh, was really glad that we chatted this week. So much so that we wanted to bring you back for the roundtable. Before we do anything, I have to tell everybody. Number one, you got to follow Mary Catherine on Twitter, MK Hammer at MK Hammer on Twitter on Instagram. It's MK Hammer time. I personally subscribed to Mary Catherine Ham's Substack this week. MK Hammer Time on Substack, and she has her very own podcast called "Getting Hammered." And you can, and you, you can you find it. There's a pattern. <laughs> and you can find. I hope you didn't. I hope you didn't produce that podcast while you were having a baby recently. That would. <laughs> uh, but great podcast, great Substack, great social media content, and. I have to say, uh, one of my favorite people to see on television, to be on television with, I think one of the greatest conservative commentators we have. So Mary Catherine, welcome back to the show.
5: Thank you so much. Glad to be here.
3: And thanks for welcoming Scott into the conservative commentator clan there on, on the national airwaves.
5: Well, you know, we have to stick together, Scott and me.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's fun watch you guys. And it's, there's, there's not that many of you. So it's kind of a protected class. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah. We, we take turns. One of us uh, is the secretary. One of us is the treasurer. One of us yeah. is like, uh, you know, we take the officer's change.
3: We have so much to talk about uh, after the State of the Union on, on Tuesday night. We are recording this, by the way, about uh, 945 on Wednesday, March 2nd uh, in the evening here. Mary Catherine graciously, uh, the, 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 a break she's getting at home while her baby is asleep is she's spending it with us. I yeah, you know. it's amazing, really. So let's get right to it, though. Actually, before we hear the first bite here, I just want to get your 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 overall gut here on uh, on the speech last night.
5: Yeah, look, I I don't think it changes much. I'm not sure exactly who the pitch was for. Uh, maybe sort of lefty leaners who are discouraged with the Biden presidency. And he's hoping to sort of bring them back into the fold and not quite get them crossing over for GOP votes this year um do i think that that was accomplished Uh, low low percentage low percentage joe um the the delivery wasn't great uh to to put it mildly um and the content was very as as if he were in a different situation The, the content felt as if he was in a Good polling situation or a normal polling situation, not a drastically emergency polling situation.
3: It wouldn't be the first time, Kevin, that a president has been, you know, basically talking to his own echo chamber
2: right. Uh, the problem was everyone and half the people in the room and everyone watching on TV had no idea what America he was talking about, right kevin,
0: you're, you're a professional speechwriter. I mean, just just as a um, as a as a I don't know a matter of the craft, what was your sort of impression?
2: It was boring. Uh, a lot of people have said this. The, the laundry list um, formula for a State of the Union has been tried, and I, I don't know who's going to remember this speech in a week. Like the Ukraine section at the top was very strong. I think he made a lot of good points there. But then when he started just listing all the pieces of the Build Back Better plan that are already dead on arrival, it just it just got a little boring. <laughs>
4: It's one thing if whenever you take office, you come in and you try to cobble together or make it look like you have a mandate for your agenda. It's another thing when you have clearly been told time and time again that you no longer have a mandate or that your political support has been completely eroded, that then you try to make it look like, here are all the great things that that I'm coming to you with that have no chance of passing. Um, And so it it was really kind of a bizarro world sort of conversation last night. And he just looked totally out of touch with the political reality of the situation.
3: Scott, you and I and Mary Catherine have all been in the position of writing columns, magazine articles, you know, blogs and things where – and sometimes you're limited on space. Sometimes you have a word count you have to get to, and maybe it's a word count that's imposed upon you, and you try to squeeze in everything that you wanted to say the first time. But by the time it's the, it's the rinse and repeat cycle is over, you end up losing a lot of the impact. And it seems to me that he didn't have the discipline, maybe the, the guts to tell the people, all the people at the White House and every department of the, of the administration that all wants their, you know, their, uh, their rallying point in there. He didn't have the whatever it took to say, I need to cut yours. Because it ended up being basically everything. I mean, when you say everything and you squeeze it into half an hour, it's just, you don't say anything.
0: Yeah, I, I got the feeling that when they added the Ukraine portion late, that there was a, a lot of transition material that would have potentially linked together parts of the speech. That They just killed that. And so then it just became a, a box-checking exercise. And so there was no rhetorical flair or flourish to it. It wasn't really a story. It was a just a list. Cool.
5: And it was it was 70 minutes. Right. And he was he was not slowly delivering this thing. Like he was speeding through parts of it. So that was a uh, that's quite a length, given that he was not giving us the pauses for the uh, for the applause that you would normally get for uh, in, in another in another presidency with a different orator than this one.
4: Well, did anyone see the interview that Jen Saki gave earlier today where she was asked this question about some of the things that had to be cut because of time and particularly the Afghanistan piece, about not acknowledging the fact that we had soldiers that literally gave the last full measure of devotion uh, for our country. And she, she essentially just said, well, you know, you have to cut things, and we didn't have a whole lot of time to talk about everything <laughs> that we everything wanted. Else. We got in everything, you know, domestic policy, but I'd be interested in what, what you guys think about that. I mean, literally, he's the commander-in-chief, and that's like one of the, the chief things that he needs to be talking about. And so I'd be interested in hearing what you all think about, about that
5: yeah look i I think it was a uh, i think it's it's gross that Afghanistan was left out of this speech it's it's his sacred duty as commander in chief to recognize the losses of these families. I have a lot of gold star family friends. um now, look, this is politically fraught for him, obviously, but you can rise above that, and even if none of the families, for instance, wants to come to the gallery, which I doubt in this case, any of them would have wanted to do that. You can still pay tribute to them. And the fact that it was completely unmentioned, by the way, I I know we play the imagine game, but imagine if a Republican president had a career and presidency defining and world defining giant failure in August, and then just didn't mention it in January that would not fly. Uh, And then on top of that, I appreciate Bo Biden's service. The president using his service to sort of deflect any of the criticism that might come about Afghanistan uh, is not a great move. And when he implies, which he does regularly, that Bo Biden died in combat, that is bad. He should not do that because we all know that's not, well, we all know that's not the case, but he is giving the impression on purpose that that is that that was a combat death and i i think that is trashy that's not good
0: it, he he has done it so many times and, and there have been a number of people who have called him out on it and i I think you're right i think he uses it as a shield to deflect criticism yes. about his own shortcomings as commander-in-chief but it also fits in with he you know his with regularity makes just makes up things out of whole cloth about his own background and things that supposedly happened to him and yeah, I do think there's a certain personality type that once you say something enough it creeps
3: into your you start to truth. believe
0: it. Like I think your neurons like literally rewire themselves and you you believe it. Like it becomes part of your personal narrative and and you then just become immune to people saying, "Please stop doing that," no matter how gross it is.
3: So in my view, there were two audiences on Tuesday night. There was certainly the world and Vladimir Putin for the first part that was probably the strongest part of the speech, mm-hmm. and the for second sure. one I think was mainly the people in the room, or at least the constituency groups that are, that he wanted to be able to to reach there. However, they were not necessarily pleased with the uh, one of his comments here about the police.
1: We should all agree the answer is not to defund the police; right. it's to fund the police. fund them. Fund them with resources and training. Resources and training they need to protect their communities. I ask Democrats and Republicans alike to pass my budget and keep our neighborhoods safe.
3: So obviously he tries to parlay the defund the police into his budget mary catherine but what 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 do you what do you make of uh of the sudden i don't know change of heart
5: i mean has has any slogan failed so spectacularly in two years like defund the police because that is the trajectory has been impressive um i do think there's a there's a certain amount of gaslighting going on here where he's trying to uh, suggest that the party was not in favor of this for a while, right? Like he's, he's acknowledging that this is a criticism, but he's like, I'm the reasonable guy. Now he certainly was not a defund the police guy earlier in his career. In fact, quite the opposite with the 1994 crime bill. Right. But this party has very obviously been advocating for this Now, what defund the police means is different policy things to different people, right? But this has been been the refrain, and they've paid for it, and they finally realized they're paying for it. And the problem for them is that so many of the base are very dedicated to this idea and that anything else is fascist and horrible, uh, that that's an uncomfortable moment for them.
0: You know what's amazing. Most ardent, you know, supporters. You know it's amazing about the defund crowd. It's, they don't just want to defund the police. They also want to eliminate prisons. I mean, they 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 legitimately have extraordinarily radical views. Yeah. I find it amazing that we're all sitting around here, you know, looking at coverage of people praising Joe Biden's extreme courage and genius for coming out on the ninety side of a ninety ten issue. I mean, it's like it is a total no brainer, but we're acting like it's miraculous. But that's how progressive he's gotten. You know, after running yeah. as the moderate deal maker. It is a little shocking to see him come out on the correct side of something that's a no-brainer kind of political issue because we've come to expect him to almost always take the progressive side, and Corey Bush and others were, were unhappy with him last night. As a political matter, it's right. Do I think people are going to buy this? I don't know. I think the Democrats are branded with this. I mean, it, you just can't yes. undo you know so
3: many months and months and months of, of, of uh, defining on an issue. So you have, obviously, uh, Sean, the the, uh, the the expectation from every pundit— that the Democrats are going to take a shellacking in the fall in the midterms. But not everyone pays attention to every blow by blow of the government and the State of the Union is an opportunity to press the reset button.
4: But this is this is not just a, a blow by this has been a, a trend, this has been a conversation piece that they've had for years. This is this has been a theme that they've campaigned upon. And you know, it's one thing that if the president had stood up two years ago and consistently said over and over, you know, we need to fund the police. But he he had a vacuum of leadership on this issue for for two years. And so congratulations. He finally stood up and said what he needed to say two years ago. But the Rashida Tlaibs, the the members of the squad that have campaigned and have have made this be a talking point issue with the the Democrat socialist organizations across the United States, I mean, this is is their bread and butter. And they were very upset about this. And that's why you had like four different members of the president's own party respond to his own state of the union, (laughs) showing that maybe the state... Of the union is not great, of course, but the state of his own party is is also in disunion. You know, not not exactly a funding issue, but when I hear him talking about
0: sort of pro policing issues now, I, I I think about those border guards that were falsely accused of whipping the migrants coming across the border, and Joe Biden running to the microphone to condemn them, yeah. to brand them as racists, to to taint whatever a personnel investigation was gonna take place. I mean, obviously he's the head of the executive branch and and there's no way they can get a fair shake now. And then almost immediately having it all come out, almost immediately that this was completely fabricated by blue check Twitter. And the person who took the photo said, no, they weren't they weren't whipping anybody. And Joe Biden has never apologized for that. So I think in his heart, I think in his heart his instincts are, I'm gonna use these people you know, as a whipping post whenever it's convenient for me. And now I, in, on this funding issue, he's struggling, so now he's going to do it again. Well, now i got to say the other thing. And so I don't think he actually is viewing the police as important people. I just think he's viewing them, you know, as what can I say that's expedient for me at the time. And that, that makes it all the more disgusting.
3: Let me ask both of you, Mary Catherine and Scott, anybody else can chime in as well. As a practical matter, in terms of where this leaves democratic unity between now, I guess, in the midterms or just a matter of of, of legislating, I mean, so you have the AOCs who are upset about not enough climate change in the speech. You have sure. Cory Bush upset about this defund the police thing. As a practical matter, does this make any difference at all in terms of what of, of what what they can get done while they still have while they're still in power?
5: I mean, I don't think the chances of them getting anything done are great, regardless. Like once you once you hit election season, which is where we are, uh, and and all that all that Joe Biden says is, "Look, hey, here's a bunch of little." pieces of build back better that are just build back better and mansion's like you're not fooling me buddy this ain't getting passed what
3: about okay then what about as a practical matter as far as politically if you don't yeah. believe that your president who you you know everyone was trying to get build back better done on their side and didn't get done and obviously they're all disaffected by not by joe Manchin and Kristen cinema and all of that and by joe biden and Chuck Schumer promising it was going to happen. I mean, kind of the, like trying to will it to happen when it was never going yeah. to. So where does this leave your, just from a de- demoralized standpoint, and does that affect the election at all? I just i just have to go back to what, like, not enough climate change. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm saying mean, AOC I, was saying
0: that. I, I, well, that's what my point, though. I mean, this is how out of touch they are. And, and by the way, Joe Biden put plenty of climate change. I mean, here we are importing all this oil from Russia. We're funding Russia's war against Ukraine, by the way. That's what we're doing. And he's still adhering to this green energy agenda, and she's still saying it's not enough climate change. I, I will tell you, when they get when they get beat, and they're going to get beat bad in November. Bad. These these prog- you know these progressives are essentially they're already sort of saying it. They'll it'll be blatant and blunt. This presidency is over. He is a lame duck. He cannot run again, and we are taking the reins of this party. That that is where they are headed.
2: Yeah and when you're you're talking about trying to unify his own party he goes back to the tried and true attacking trump on everything the you know everybody was hunky dory and holding hands until he snuck in that line about the trump tax cuts and the blatant lie that all the benefits went to the top 1% and you immediately heard it from the republican side they yeah. booed loudly because it was just a cheap shot that i think was just a nod to the his own base
0: yeah that was a uh... You know, I heard some commentators after the speech saying, well, wasn't it refreshing, you know, a nonpartisan, you know, calling for unity, and he was trying to unify us. I mean, that little quip against the Republicans came literally right after the whole, right on the heels of the Ukrainian piece.
1: Unlike the $2 trillion tax cut passed in the previous administration that benefited the top 1% of Americans, the American Rescue Plan. And
3: this is Chuck
1: Schumer standing Help working people and left no one behind.
0: Sad. I mean, this thing has been debunked by the Washington. This thing's gotten more Pinocchios than my yeah. Disney Plus subscription. This thing, this thing is like. I mean, every single. I mean, the fact checkers are not kind to our people. I mean, let's be honest. Even yeah. they, even Glenn, even the Glenn Kessler crowd has to admit this is a bunch of BS.
5: No, and also the the unity call. At, first of all, there's the cheap shot. But then, and by the way this was part of the problem with news coverage of that tax package the entire time, by the way, they, they, they'd cover all about, all about how it only helped rich people. And then they'd be like, and polling shows that people think it only helps rich people. It's like, yeah, that's because what you've been telling them and it's incorrect. Um, But anyway, (laughs) but then after that comes the call for unity, after just years now of calling anyone who differs with you on covid mitigation or vaccine policy neanderthals like you can't you can't do that you can't say to everyone now truce i know we've been calling you animals for two years but truce now okay because it it serves me you know you you this is
0: such an important point because the covid part of this speech i think before ukraine this was supposed to be the centerpiece of him saying "We're, we're moving on and you know what that whole section of the speech lacked was any humility at all. I mean, he, yes. you know, there was absolutely there was not a shred of, hey, uh, sorry, we closed your schools for two years. Sorry that we've kept your kids masked. Sorry that this has been such a hard. And there was not a shred of humility or humbleness not at all. And and that and th- this is supposed to be his strong suit, right? Empathy, like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll always I mean, tell you the truth. It's
5: not really operative anymore.
0: It, it's not. And I just, I don't know. I mean, if, if I was sitting at 37% and I
1: was trying to find a way to connect with folks,
3: a little humility goes a long way. Here's Joe Biden reopening the country last night.
1: Just a few days ago, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention issued a new mask guideline. Under the new guidelines, most Americans, and most of the country, can now go mask-free. And based on projections, based on projections, more of the country will reach a point across that point across the next couple of weeks. And thanks to the progress we've made in the past year, COVID-19 no longer need control our lives. I know some are talking about living with COVID-19. But tonight, I say, That we never will just accept living with COVID 19. We'll continue to combat the virus as we do other diseases. And because this virus mutates and spreads, we have to stay on guard. And here are I
3: I couldn't follow half
1: of that. You
2: seem to double down on the need to get to COVID zero, but uh, let's all take our masks off.
0: Mary Catherine, you you have been, I think, on the cutting edge of, of tracking precisely the level of anger among people and parents in this country. I, I, I that whole section. I would love to hear just when you heard it, how did it hit well, you?
5: I will say I think I think he left the the closed schools issue on the table. Like he didn't he didn't try to cultivate any parent message for himself. Now it'd be hard to do because he's on the side of the unions that wanted schools closed for a year. But you could make these sort of you could make a left-leaning parent argument, right? He sort of left that on the table. And I was, I think that actually worked out best for him because if you gaslight parents more about what you did to them, they'll just get angrier. So he kind of left that alone. But I think you see him doing this straddle that you just can't do because his base is so fanatical about COVID mitigation and about their risk of COVID, which is way less than they think it is because they've all told them the wrong thing for a long time, um, that you have to reassure those people while you're simultaneously saying, the CDC has Benny Hinned all of us, we're all healed now, don't worry
0: about it. Oh, only only our listeners in Flyover Country will know know Benny, Benny in. I love it, man. A lot. You, you know how many nights I set up as a kid. going, Who, who is
3: this guy? This is the most amazing ben, show I've to, ever seen. <laughs> I was
5: thinking about this the other day and thought, how little must there have been on TV that oh, I watched that many times as a child? Exactly.
3: <laughs> and Ernest earn, Angley, but uh, that's beside the point. But but to your point about Flyover Country, it this is, I mean, my perception of all this was he's not talking to me because I've already been living that life. For maybe yeah. a year. he, he He's yeah. behind a lot of us out here in middle
0: America. But now he's also behind all these Democrat governors. I mean, they they popped this balloon over
4: the last several weeks. I mean, he's essentially the last one to the party here, Sean, Kevin. No, I, I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, even here in Kentucky, our governor today did an interview where he said, well, I finally realized that we're going to be living with COVID. <laughs> finally. He finally realized. And, and uh, you know, talk about an Andy come lately. I mean, you know, this yeah. is this is a guy who's like realized finally that where the rest of the, the state and the Republican legislature here has been for for a long period of time. And it's it's really shocking that now he's gotten permission from the Democrat president last night that he can walk this uh,
2: tightrope but he left himself uh, enough wiggle room that if he wants to bring back some, some
5: closures and close everything. That's down what again, they're gonna do, yeah. yeah. I,
2: I'll and just. He,
5: I, I've said before, there's there are parallel pandemics and even in blue areas. So I live in a very blue area right outside of DC. But even here, like my husband's a first responder. We live in a military community. There are tons of people here who went out and did the work that the pajama wearing people were not doing. And from the very beginning, my neighborhood, Understood that we were exposed to some degree because people had to work and do the jobs because somebody has to come take care of you if you have a heart attack, right? Like this is this is a thing that's still happening. So there were different classes of people who experienced this so differently, uh, and and the president is really only focusing on the very upper class, middle upper middle class, lefty leaning, urbane. Dwellers. I mean, that's who is—that's who lives that way.
4: Th- that point that you just mentioned is incredibly important because <laughs> there has been a, there's a divide in this country between people who had to continue working during the pandemic, no matter what, and there are people who could work from home and work remotely, and, and you know that's fine. But the way that people who had to continue working are essential services and uh, essential workers and all that sort of thing—the way they were looked down upon because mm-hmm. they were on the front lines and might have contracted. This disease—it it was absolutely atrocious—the way that they were treated.
0: Oh, there, there was a time when, when the blue checks—you know—if you got COVID, you, you had a moral failing. Like you did something oh, yeah, wrong. You didn't. Did you didn't follow the rules. You didn't tweet yeah. enough at the virus. You didn't hold enough talismans. You didn't do enough rain dances, and that's, and that's your fault. You didn't follow the religious prescription that we set up for you. That if you just did all of the things that we prescribed, in and. and and got on the right side of the virus, it would have passed over your house. And that's how they treated that's how they treated these folks until until they started getting it. Until yeah, Omicron, Omicron, Omicron came Omicron to them. Cured
5: them of this yes. Of of this. Now,
3: yes. Now here's the thing. If I'm a Democrat and I'm listening to this, the speech last night from the president and you. and you and the and the the country's now reopened, I feel a little bit better. I know that they he followed the science and now was following So what I'm thinking right now, the day after, is that I think we can we can galvanize in time for the midterms. I'm thinking that this because it's February or it's March and that's not until November. My question truth I mean I know that you're all looking at me like I'm insane.
4: You must be on some of those pills that the president is. Okay, yeah, that's right. My
3: question though is Mary Catherine, we'll go to you first, is that how long uh, will Americans memories be? Yeah. Because sometimes we don't have long memories of things, and no. that's and it's it's March, April, May, June, July, August, September. I mean, I'm I'm counting on my fingers on two hands. I'm just saying it's a long time until the election.
5: It is, but let's. So I thought this before the uh, governor race, the the governor's election in in Virginia, where Glenn Youngkin won, the Republican won in Virginia in this big parent revolt, right? Uh, against the the there's, there's a constituency for normalcy, and that is what showed itself. Uh, in Virginia, so let's start with the parent thing because I cynically uh, was afraid that parents here would just be like, "Oh well, what are you gonna do? I guess Terry McAuliffe will be the governor and our schools will close again." I was concerned, but I also could feel this anger from people, and I was like, my my gut was telling me that that they were gonna go yunk it. Um, so I was gratified that they did not forget what Democrats did to their kids. Now Democrats do us a favor by being really obvious about it by, I don't know, having Randy Weingarten stump for them. Nobody in this state who had a kid in school, or not in school as it were, uh, had any misunderstanding about what Randy Weingarten was about. They knew exactly why she was here and they knew exactly what would happen if Terry McAuliffe was reelected. I think that they have so married themselves as a party to that way of thinking And they have hurt a lot of people. And then worse than hurting them, they have laughed at them when they've complained about being hurt and that and been been really awful to them. And that really sinks in and it has a lot of people thinking about, well, if you give me a fairly reasonable Republican, I could really I could go there.
0: So there's staying power here. Yeah, I I agree. And I, I also think there's one other issue about this that the Democrats cannot escape. And it is they have conditioned a very, very significant percentage yes. of their base to believe that they they really do need to be trapped in their houses for the rest yes. of their life. I, I don't I think I think people don't understand the high percentage of committed liberal base Democrats who are still sitting in their homes wearing three masks yes. and who and who I mean they have been scared out of their wits to step outside. Now, even if Joe Biden or their Democrat governor says it's fine. That it You can't unwire that. If you've scared someone no. and you've conditioned someone to believe that so deeply, they don't just let go. So they're going to have to grapple with that because I, I think those people are, are scarred for life. I mean, I really do think... Unfortunately, I think their lives no, it's are
5: bad. We have we have cultivated a national anxiety disorder and we are the people who are indulging in it are also giving it to their children. So it's going to be a lot of mess for a long time.
0: A couple of other observations on the covid. I, and, and you know these are disparate. But number one, I thought the juxtaposition of the video of Joe Biden the day before the State of the Union ambling across the White House lawn outside by himself mm-hmm. wearing a mask versus him in the chamber with five hundred people with no mask Scott, in close proximity. You were
3: on the rooftop of the Hay Adams Hotel across from the White House. It was cold. <laughs> I it know, was... I know. I'm just saying. Are you saying he was using it as like a an earmuff for yeah. his yeah. for his <laughs> mouth?
0: <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I'm just saying. That that was that but that video to me just was a perfect capper to the absolute stupidity and theater of all this. That's number one. Number two, I've been in airports almost every day for the last several days. The FAA has not gotten the memo from the CDC, nor did the FAA listen to or think much of the President's State of the Union. I was in an airport this morning, and they're still giving the speech at the airport about, if you don't wear your mask, we're never going to let you fly on an airplane again. And so I'm actually wondering, is the airport, going to be the last bastion of masking in america i'm i, well, I don't it'll be, i don't know it'll
5: be airports and then they'll get to the two-year-olds at some
0: point <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting because there were a lot of people at, at reagan national this morning looking at each other like is it time i mean i mean i mean we're all legitimately looking at like if we all do it they can't throw us all out right <laughs> i mean,
5: <The> FAA <laughs> One actually is supposed to expire March eighteenth, but they never actually expire. That's not how any of this works. So we'll see what happens. But no, I I think the thing that got me was um, when you talk about these contrasts. Was uh, Pelosi said that she, when she announced she would not wear a mask for the event, she's eighty one years old. She announced she would not wear a mask for the event, uh, but that she would wear a mask if she was around small children because they're not yet vaccinated. And I was like, the ignorance of this statement. Like you are 80 my friend, my friend. You're a health, you look like a healthy 81 year old, but you are so much more at risk than an unvaccinated young child. It's not even funny and here we are just septuagenarians and octogenarians everywhere just air kissing and grab, you know, grabbing hands and doing all the things. Children don't need to do this. They don't need it. But that I think that a she's she might be ignorant of the facts, and B it's a stop to the unions because they want to keep kids in masks.
0: I uh, this has had nothing to do with the State of the Union, but since we're talking about the kids, you know a story that's been buried because of the war in the State of the Union. I assume you all read the clip about the, the Pfizer
3: vaccine, vaccine not being as effective yes. as what they thought, among
0: twenty percent. <laughs> I mean, I mean we, <laughs> I mean we all ran out and got our kids. I mean I did, you know the ones that were eligible. I got my kids vaccinated. Now they tell us and and they were always the least at risk and we did it but this thing has gotten buried like this was a news story for like 2 hours
5: well and also recall as with all of the covid stories if you were a parent as i was actually on twitter and even though it's scary to do it if you were a parent who expressed hey <laughs> they're super not at risk um so explain to me like how effective this is and i'd like to see more data and why are we doing this and should it be mandated because the fda panel that approved it said this should not be read as a mandate for mandates. Uh, you were called an anti-vax crazy person if you just said that. Oh and yeah! It turns out more data would have been nice.
0: It would have. It would have been. I mean, I. I mean, I guess the data doesn't say it's harmful, but the no. whole theory. But their. But their entire talking point was this is foolproof. And if you do this, then we can reopen your schools. And it's obvious that, carts,
5: didn't do that. <laughs> carts
0: were put before horses. It needs
3: aired. to be a top ten list of all the tweets that if you tweeted them a year ago, that are a fact now that a year ago would have gotten you blocked from Twitter.
0: Yeah, I just, I just, I just thought this was a pretty. I, I mean, I thought this was a huge story, yeah. and the fact that it just has been totally just. Eh, You know, pushed aside. I I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but Lord have mercy.
3: I want to go back to the airport and uh, and Joe Biden's comments on what he was what he was able to do as far as trying to stop Vladimir Putin and
1: And tonight I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. He has no idea what's
3: coming. So that's my question. There's two things he said last night. I, I'm not quite sure what they, what they meant. Uh, he, doesn't, he has no idea what's, hap- what, what's coming. Mary Catherine, what did you make of that?
5: I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> what do what sure, you, you guys? <laughs> I'm not sure Joe knows what to make of that. But I, but I also want the president to succeed, obviously, on this very important and scary foreign policy issue, right? Um, but it does not feel always that they have a plan.
2: And any plan is extremely multilateral. I mean, he's every step of the way wanted every country in the world to hold hands and kick Russia. But I don't think that means that there's a secret here that Putin doesn't know what's coming. Well, if
3: it was Vladimir Putin, Sean, who was saying this, I think they would say he has no idea what's coming. Okay, well, he's going to use nuclear weapons.
4: You know, I don't know how many Russian flights are in U.S. airspace on any given day, but I can get a pretty good idea how many – Millions of barrels of Russian oil that we purchase mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and every week, every yeah. every week, to, and that. But wait, Scott's there, already indicated. I, I,
3: I heard him announce last night, Sean, that they're releasing like, <laughs> was it thirty million gallons? Thirty,
0: yeah. but barrels. Thirty million barrels, <laughs> barrels, which will take us about uh, two and a half weeks uh, to replenish with the Russian oil we're buying. I mean it. Awesome. it
5: don't forget that we are sitting down while we're while we're linking arms to isolate Russia from everything else, including soccer and like pouring out perfectly good vodka. We are also we are also sitting down at a table in Vienna with Russians le- basically leading negotiations with Iran on news like on the nuclear program. There, Th- that's what we were doing this week while we're doing all this other stuff.
0: Th- this this whole issue where. We're dealing with them on oil, dealing with them on Iran, and at the same time in the speech, Joe Biden goes through this this litany of backpats, like, I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and that's why we were so ready for when Vladimir Putin went ahead and invaded Ukraine, as though we were supposed to congratulate him. For the suffering of the Ukrainians. What you did failed. There was no deterrence.
3: Iranians, Iranians, not the Ukrainians. <laughs> yeah. I, actually, I want to. I, I, wanna...
0: I just find that I, I found that
3: whole section to be pretty incredible. If we could. Actually. Let me see if we can get this queued up. Jared's here to do it for us, because that was
1: one thing I want to talk about. Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked. He rejected repeated, repeated efforts at diplomacy. He thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond. He thought he could divide us at home in this chamber, in this nation. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well. But Putin was wrong. We are ready. We are united, and that's what we did. We stayed united. We prepared extensively and carefully. We spent months building coalitions of other freedom-loving nations in Europe and the Americas, to, from America to the Asian and African continents to confront Putin. Like many of you, I spent countless hours unifying our European allies. We shared with the world in advance what we knew Putin was planning and precisely how we would try to falsify and justify his aggression. We countered Russia's lies with the truth. So to me, I mean, Mary Catherine will come to you first. It's it, this is yeah. this whole
3: exercise seemed to be either a, a research paper about something that happened two years ago or yeah. a victory lap. And it seemed very past tense to me. But like, here's all the things that we did. Well, I mean, kind of forgetting from 10 minutes earlier about the bombing that's currently going on.
5: Right. They, the things didn't work, which look, they not it's not going to go perfectly. But uh, as Scott noted, a, a bit of humility on any of these subjects would be helpful. Like people uh, on COVID, on this, a little bit of humility and also just reassurance of any kind when people are in a situation that remains sort of scary, especially when it comes to foreign policy here.
0: I I will say that the CBS polling that was done before the speech and it rated him on all the issues. I mean, he was in the 30s on everything except Ukraine, which he was 41. And he had very low marks because my assumption is the American people look at this situation and say, well, why didn't you do more? You know, like, I mean, well, what, well, I mean yeah. you, you claim you're doing all this stuff and it failed. So they're, I, I think they're looking at this through the same lens that they look at Afghanistan because of him now. They, I think there's an assumption that if he's operating in some foreign policy theater, that it's incompetent. And in this case, it would be easy to come to that conclusion because nothing we did worked. And, and just the idea that he wanted that Congress to clap for him for uniting the West, he's not doing anything. Zelensky, Zelensky is uniting the West. Zelensky is uniting the world. You know, you've got, you know, Ukrainian grandmas out in the street with semi-automatic weapons fighting off these Russians. They're inspirational. They're uniting the world. Joe Biden, I I don't know what, I don't actually know what he has personally
3: done about any of this. I think, again, my point, though, is this all seemed to be kind of past tense. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just curious to see what the, uh, I mean, with the next couple of days being because back to your original point Scott is that and, and Mary Catherine is that they are I I don't know how b- beyond the rhetoric of the first part of the speech I I actually don't know what our foreign policy is and what what we pl- how we plan on dealing with this new country of whatever it ends up being after oh. they come to some ceasefire because to oh, yeah. me they're going to carve it up and then go ahead
5: No, I I think you're right to your point. It's like, there's something monumental happening here, but it was not. And even though it was the strongest part of the speech and I thought parts of it were very good, the the message was good. There was not a lot of contending, as you say, like this is a past tense thing. This is an operation that happened. There was no contending with like, what is being birthed into the world here and and what that looks like. And people do, that's what people are worried about. That like, what is coming next? And there wasn't a lot of that. And there's, this I'm
2: I, he made very clear that American troops are not going to Ukraine. So although everyone was wearing their flags and everyone applauded for the ambassador, at some point he also was giving a subtext that he's not we're only doing so much to defend Ukraine. I mean,
0: look, we, we I mean, if you read between the lines and you and you read between the you know, it's like the theater of all this. We we are prepared to cede Ukraine right. to the Russians. I mean, if they if Ukraine falls and Zelensky's government is toppled and they occupy Ukraine we will not recognize them as the legitimate government but we're not going to throw them out it's just right. like Afghanistan we don't recognize the Taliban as the legitimate government but we still deal with it and right. and we and we're not throwing them out and i you know we've we've essentially already flagged that for the world like we hate this and russia's bad and man this is terrible and and that's it that's as far as we're going you mentioned the oil before do you think that we'll take that next step though at all you know, I uh, I think eventually they might.
3: If I know that they the next I, step meaning cutting off Russia and, and not
0: I know the Biden administration believes most of that oil and gas goes to Alaska, and I know that they're trying to figure out how to not make prices go up. My my thinking is prices are going up anyway, so this is a perfect time to just say to people, look, prices are going up, and it's also a perfect time to do something he didn't do, which is to say, I'm suspending this green energy push for the time being, we got to drill. We got to, there's more, there's more oil in Anwar.
5: No, don't you understand Scott? The green energy is what makes the prices go down. Oh,
0: I'm sorry. I'm such a rube.
2: (laughs) Just like how all this government spending drives down inflation too.
0: But there's more oil under, there's more oil under Anwar than there is in Saudi Arabia. And if he wanted to make like a sweeping move here, it's like, you know what? I'm going to go get it. We're going to cut off. And not only are we going to get it for ourselves, I'm going to send it to Europe because they've gotten themselves dependent upon the Russians, and I got to get them off of it. We've yeah. got to isolate.
4: But that's the thing: unless we're willing to isolate them on oil, they're not going away. I actually think that most voters and in flyover country, but I also even think that some Democrats would be willing to buy into that argument for a yes. short period of time. Right. They say it's very logical. Th- there's a trade-off here. Lo- there's a trade-off. Right. We're, we're gonna we're gonna deal with this. We're not happy with it for the, for a short period of time. But but you know what? We're willing we're willing to make that deal but it's like the covid stuff
0: it's become a religion you know i mean it's become a religion and they we you know we outsourced our energy policy to the to the european teenage girl and, <laughs> and i mean we outsourced our american energy policy to an angry teenager from a different country that's this what we time, did
5: we were energy independent and we were hitting the paris accords numbers Without being part of it, and, that, and that's how you know that it's more about who you're punishing in the policy than it is about the actual gains of the policy. Because if they actually wanted to bring carbon emissions down, we were doing that. We were hitting the targets. But it doesn't matter. you got to punish the right people.
0: Oh, you know, you, you bring up that, that word punish. He actually used it you know, when he was talking about the tax piece, and he, he was crazy. Now, I don't want to punish anybody. However, if you're a corporation, here's all the ways I'm going to punish you. I mean, it was the most it was the craziest turn of a phrase. I don't want to hurt anybody. Here's a list of the people I intend to hurt. If you employ folks, you will
3: be punished. They have missed they may have missed one of those traditional <laughs> phrases they had to cut for time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the point of the program before we let Mary Catherine go, is that the parental advisory, if you are listening right now in the car and there are children in the car. Oh, we're
0: switching gears.
3: We are switching gears. <laughs> yeah. If, if there are children in the car, I'm telling you right now, have a good day. Go ahead and turn it off. Yeah. We're, we're done uh, <laughs> because there was an a, an interaction. Uh, <clears throat> there was some political discourse. So we're leaving the State of the Union behind. We are indeed. Kim
2: Reynolds did great. I think that needs to be said. Oh, you before. want to say that? Kim I, Reynolds, oh, terrific. I Kim Reynolds oh, yeah. did a great job right, giving a right. very cogent. I'm sorry that I, that I for conservative uh, principles. I, you're
4: you're leaving out the flyover country
5: state that actually was okay, represented I'm last night. Any on thoughts the on the stage, of governor on. of
3: Iowa, Mary <laughs> Catherine?
5: real quickly i will say i think i think what she did what you generally have in response is you have a really tough room because it's hard to give that speech without all the pomp and circumstance um but you but she was able to give in a tough room a really good message that touched on how people actually feel about their lives whereas biden was over here kind of trying to make this all feel smiley when it's very much not and i think her tone was great um, I was very impressed. I think there might have been a dividing line. Like, I got a lot of women friends telling me they enjoyed it, and maybe dudes didn't as much. We're not as into it, but I, I, she had a very normie mom vibe, and I was into it.
0: You know what was great about her speech was that if you were just any generic Republican campaign in the country, you could cut, paste, insert into your own talking points, insert into your ads, insert onto your website. You can run on exactly the way she laid it out. And in an environment like this, she had all the correct notes, and it stayed within the confines of what will work in the way this election is setting up for Republicans. Stick to the Reynolds plan. Do not, my advice, my operatives' eye view advice, do not go on wild goose chases chases emanating from Florida, from either of them in Florida. The The Reynolds speech is the way to run a race this year in virtually every jurisdiction in the country. Anyway, now State of the Union now is you can over. Go to your Lou I now, so now we go to Flyover just, Country after dark.
3: After <laughs> dark, after <laughs> dark. <laughs> Shut up. So there was an interaction between a voter, a constituent in Nevada, yeah. with the governor, Governor Sisolak, at, in Nevada at a restaurant there. I wanted to play this first and to talk a little bit about uh, about well about about voters today in America.
1: You, Steve Sisolak, right? right. That's amazing. I can't tell you what a piece of fucking shit you are. Sorry to hear that. You New World Order traitor piece of shit bastard. You're in here without security? Yeah, Woo! Security. I want to
2: second that. You're yeah, you piece of you shit. Treason, and I hope
1: you I'm surprised that you have the balls to be out here in public, punk. Huh? You know? Out here without a cop? Out here without security? Oh, we'll Woo! You got balls on you, boy! I'm not moving.
2: Wait till we find all the money that flowed his way from Oh, man. Yeah, hiding the
1: hydroxy. Oh, you and trouble. All right, let's pause it for just one yeah, second.
0: Governor think- at
3: this point is trying to find his wife who's somewhere else in the restaurant. Yeah, let's describe it. They're in a
0: restaurant. So this is a governor of a state. He's in a restaurant with no security. He's got his wife. And his daughter. And his daughter. This guy starts the conversation by asking for a selfie, has his arm around him, and then starts in on this rant. At this point of the audio, the governor is like frantically looking around to try to collect his family. Let's continue. Get out of here, Sisolak.
2: Probably a good idea to go somewhere else. Where's
0: your security at, huh? Huh? Where's your? Oh, don't touch me, lady.
2: Where's your security
0: at, you. huh?
1: Now the you wife is now she's come walking out, out the front door. Trying
0: a piece of shit? All right, pause it right there. You fucking. Now she's Asian, and this guy knows it. He saw her, and that is exactly what prompted that remark. So now they're exiting the restaurant, and now they're trying to get out to their car. And
3: his friend is with him, by the way, and she, and also going to be commenting here in a minute.
0: Yeah, and there's two now. There's two guys chasing the governor. Traitors, you, we should string you up
1: by lamppost right My now, pussy boy! Do
2: you know what they do to traitors? They, they
1: hang them. Traitors. That's right, Patriot. I think it's awesome. you running into a Patriot now, huh? Wait. Huh? Where's your security
0: at? I heard about you banging that little girl and then wrecking your car. Does she know about that? Huh,
1: Steve? Mr. Sissy Lack? You traziness, China-working, cocksucking motherfucker. Okay, then. Where'd so, you...
3: happy flyover country.
0: Uh, this is, I mean... Well... At this point, he's still trying to get out to his car. Right. This guy's still chasing him, and right after this, and we can stop it. Yeah. His daughter comes running out of the restaurant, and the guy says, oh. "I'm going to stop now because your daughter is here." And then he he goes back. Then this guy posts the story. He posts the video on social media. I'm proud of it. Is happy about. It. He's some kind of a blog. He's some kind of a blogger. Then the the state police of Nevada decide to investigate this because it's obviously terroristic threatening. Yeah. The guy has gotten a lawyer, and the lawyer is the same guy who represented the rancher, Clive and Bundy.
2: Okay. And
0: and the guy had a press conference, that the assailant here, and said, I will not apologize, and, and so on. So he's being defined. So he's
3: pent up for after two years of all the things the governor has done wrong, COVID and everything else. Yeah. So obviously we're all passionate about our own uh, you know, uh, issues. Mary Catherine, you're obviously passionate about what happened to the COVID shutdowns but yeah. th- we have i guess my concern here and the reason i wanted to play this this vile trash is how america and why america i guess the question for you guys has become so radicalized and people have not just n- not just retreated to their corners but they're somehow emboldened to believe yeah. and this and this by the way and we we've seen it in, in Kentucky we've seen people threaten Mitch McConnell's life on his front lawn we've seen people camping out on the attorney general's uh, lawn and and uh, threatening him in, in in Louisville, we've seen, we've seen somebody come in when McConnell and his, his wife were eating a luncheon and and on Bargetown Road in Louisville and uh, Bargetown Road in Louisville and and pick up their meal and throw it in the street. We've seen people chase Kirsten send into a bathroom. We've <laughs> yeah, seen people chase Joe Manchin up. through the airport. We've seen
0: a congressional baseball game shot up, and we've seen the Capitol ransacked. I mean, Mary Catherine. I mean, what what I mean how, what what how does this hit you? I mean, you 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 just saw it before the show tonight. How does this hit you? Uh,
5: it- look, it's, it's concerning just cause like as a public figure, it makes me think like, Hmm, that's uh, a, that, that's a thing that can happen. Uh, and there's also the concern I'm trying to knock my ring light over here. Um, there's also the concern that uh, like, this is clearly very threatening. Uh, I think you, all those things that you point out are instances where that was like, that was clearly the case. We also have an issue that's driving people insane uh, where we can't, Distinguish between actually threatening and parents at a school board meeting raising their voices, right? And you don't want to disenfranchise anyone or keep them from doing active democracy and and politicking because we're smearing them as violent and threatening. But then you've got this guy who, like, truly is, right? So I think our our ability to, to distinguish and to use these things. Uh, incidents that aren't all that threatening as as partisan cudgels actually makes all of this worse.
2: That's a great point. I mean, clearly, this video is disgusting. Clearly, following center cinnamon to a bathroom is disgusting. But there are legitimate forms of protest. Um,
3: And for that matter, I mean, here's the guy is eating dinner, a school board in session taking public comment <laughs> yes. that's the time maybe, where you should
5: make important yeah yes. I mean
3: I'm, I'm saying that yeah the context and the and the and the and the setting is uh, there's, there's a time and place to say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna make my case here but it, it's something else as yeah. to interrupt someone's you know life I'm not saying that they can never you know express their opinion certainly but there's a way there's a time and place to do
4: it well and, and I really want to hit on something that Mary Catherine said which was the difference between like the, this whole concept that you know words are violence versus you know, actual threats of violence and, you know, saying that you're going to string somebody up by a lamppost is like that is clear threat of violence. And like that, yeah. that should be completely off the table in political discourse. Full stop.
0: I, I what which what I think is the common thread through all of this is there is a there is a fairly significant percentage of Americans who have come to view politicians and elected officials as subhuman not human or it's just simply commodities. you know, p- things to be treated poorly. And so the dehumanization of this industry, I mean, you know, I mean the 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 esteem in which we hold the class of people who are our political leaders is now, you know, less than less than human. I mean, you don't talk to you don't talk to other people that way unless you view them as as having literally no human dignity. And I this is. I think there's more people who believe that than we want to believe as Americans, and it's—I uh, mean—that that episode right there. I mean, what in some in some parallel universe that that turns violent in a hurry. That guy pulls out a weapon. Oh, yeah. That guy throws a punch. You know, somebody else joins in. It gets out of hand, and and it's a—in my opinion—just listening to the anger. It's
3: pretty shocking that it didn't I think we've all met people like this or at least are, are been around them at some point or another and I, it would frankly I mean I, I would it would scare me to death you know I would probably just I would run away like the governor did or just try to get the heck out of dodge and I, I certainly wouldn't confront or have a, a conversation but what is it that makes someone believe that this is okay well I mean that's what I'm saying I think we've conditioned a, a people
0: uh, to believe that politicians are not just worthy of our criticism and scorn but but they may be worthy of something worse and so and so the episodes of political violence in this country are rising and these are kind of the you know on the fringes of that and uh uh, i mean this is the froth coming out of of a volcano that's that's erupted a few times in the last few years
5: well i think there's a ratchet effect too where it's like well these guys are doing this so i'm gonna do this because this is what I'm taught to believe are the tools at my disposal, and they should not be.
4: Well, and, you know, uh, I have a little uh, – I guess I was typecast early on the first time I was invited to the podcast because Joe said, you know, you read a lot of books. I do. You and, do. and uh, you know, one book that I quoted uh, one of the first times I was on here was uh, C.S. Lewis's The Abolition of Man. And, you know, we have a society now that's uh, – to use a quote, it's like we build men without chests and expect virtue from them. Like our whole entire system, our whole entire political culture – uh, really struggles to to cultivate this idea of of virtue and 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 the idea of how we should treat one another, and we deprive each other of humanity. And I think it'd be something that we should all get back to. If you if you believe, that's a really
0: good point. And and if you believe, if you have a whole group of people that believe all institutions have failed, and that there is literally no recourse except but to take matters into your own hand, either rhetorically like this person or violently like some of the other people they're 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 at this point they're operating outside of the social compact right they're out they're operating outside of the system and so um it doesn't surprise me that this guy held a press conference saying he'll never apologize and he'll never give in because he doesn't actually recognize the validity or the the you know the um you know, the place of the institution that's going to hold him accountable in our society because he would say, Oh, this this whole thing is rigged, it's failed, it's it's a shame. Right. And and that that's the thing. This isn't a this isn't a small number of people. It's a lot of people. And by the way, they don't just exist on on one
3: end of the political spectrum or the other. No. Okay, that'll wrap it up for this week's edition of Flower Country with Scott Jennings. But before we go, first of all, Mary Catherine, what do you have coming up? What should we, how should we be looking for you here in the next week or so?
5: Um, well, I have my own podcast, Getting Hammered, which you can check out any anywhere you can be hammered while you listen to it. I'm not always when I host it, but sometimes maybe. Uh, and <laughs> on this week's episode, we actually explain which vodkas you can throw out, but you shouldn't probably throw out any of them. And, and if you do, uh, you should just give them to us, and we'll handle it for you. Um, I'm also writing, I think, for the Daily Beast this week on the attempted comeback of Cuomo.
0: Whoa, this we'll have to discuss on the on the panel next week because this I, I I find this fascinating. I can't believe he ever resigned in the first I place, know, but I'll I'll be looking forward to that. Uh, and you're on Twitter, and I your Substack is great. So thank you. Go on the Substack, pay the money; she's worth it. Everything, she, <laughs> everything she says. I, it's, I, you know, I try to calibrate my. I have to produce a lot of content in a lot of different formats, and you're like one of the three people that I check just to make sure I'm not off the friggin' rails before
3: I, <laughs> before I do it. So yeah. now you're like a guidepost. You may not be traveling much Love with it. with the little one, but do you ever make it to fly over country?
5: I try to uh, as often as possible. In fact. Um, I know the treasurer in Kentucky, and she has promised me a bourbon crawl at some point. Whoa, <laughs> Allison, Ball. Whoa. Allison,
0: Ball, Allison Ball. Who mm-hmm. was she? The biggest vote getter in the last election. She was. Yeah, she's one of the most popular officials in the country, she's and uh, and she's got. Uh, I think she's probably got another several campaigns on the horizon.
3: This has been great, Mary Catherine. Thank you yeah. so much, Scott. Take us on.
0: All right, Mary Catherine was a great guest twice this week. Please uh, check out her uh, interview with me. Uh, That's also on the feed. We'll have another roundtable next week. And I'm sorry to report, at one point we previewed that we would have a baseball guest on this show, and now there's no baseball. And so we may have to recalibrate, or we may just find somebody who's as mad about it as we are, Joe, to talk about the delayed start of the Major League Baseball season. But uh, it's been a big week for me. I had uh, State of the Union coverage on CNN. I wrote a piece for USA Today, which you can check out and we can post in the show notes I've got a piece on CNN.com, um, and uh, and it has some thoughts on the State of the Union. So uh, we appreciate everyone joining us, and we'll be back with you next week on Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Fly Over Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcast.